Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast presented by Twisted T and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And no cousin Shane, because it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Went on a deep dive with Stephen, senior editor of Athlon Sports, talking all the teams across the SEC preview. Week two, get Stephen's thoughts on the big games here from uh, week one. So we'll get to all that in just a second. But, oh, God, I've been putting this one off. But them LSU Tigers embarrassed me on national television. Didn't even have the heart to to do the <laughs> – should have just done this live and gotten it over with. But, uh, I mean, what a what a disaster that was for LSU. Losing to Florida State 45-24, to completely outclassed by the Seminoles. And I'm the idiot that was dumb enough to say LSU winning the West, winning the national championship. Those dreams aren't dashed, but Florida State damn near dashed them, so to speak. Uh, I mean, Florida State's legit. We got to own it. They, they were impressive. They scored on every single possession in the second half. Just a humiliating performance there for LSU, particularly the defense. I don't know what in the hell we were doing with Harold Perkins. That was a disaster. Our best player, arguably in all of college football on the defensive side, and we're just taking him completely out of the game. I'm sure Florida State appreciated that, Brian Kelly. The, the offense looked out of sync. Jaden Daniels and his receivers, at, at no point did they seem on the same page. And I, I knew the game was lost right out the gate. LSU looked good on offense, but they couldn't punch it in on the goal line on consecutive drives there. One, they had about six opportunities because of a penalty by Florida State. Florida State was more aggressive, more physical. They were getting the penalties. Reminded me of the old Bobby Bowden days where they didn't mind getting penalties because it set a tone. Well, I think it set a tone in this one because LSU kind of crumbled in the second half. But when getting back to the goal line situations, when you get down there and you can't punch it in twice and you go for it, I don't have a problem going for it because that's how you win these games, punching it in. But when you don't get it twice, two goal line situations come away with zero points, you're just not going to win a game like this. LSU looked awful particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And, I mean, we got real questions now on if they're buying into the hype. That's something Brian Kelly, we'll get to his comments here in a minute. But LSU allowed 45 points, tied for the most ever allowed in a season opener by an AP top, tw- top five team in the AP poll era, which dates back to 1936. Most allowed in a season opener by an AP Top 5 since Oklahoma in 1968. Just awful. And it looks like we've regressed. It looks like uh, people warning me about the secondary were absolutely right. LSU's secondary was was awful. Now, maybe just Florida State's receivers were that good. But uh, the offensive line, which I thought was going to be one of the major strengths of this team, they did not look that great to me. 113 rushing yards. That's not awful, but 64 of that came from Jane Daniels and mostly just on scrambles because he was running for his life out there. So once again, uh, yeah, I mean, LSU, serious, serious questions, putting into doubt 
just how good they'll be. I mean, they look like an 8-4 team on Monday night. It was it was just dreadful. And Brian Kelly, the way he says it, well, hell, we thought we were the two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm quite aware of, of the, the score. And, um, you know, I didn't like the way we came out. Um, I sensed it. I felt it. And uh, I've got to take accountability and responsibility for the way that we came out in the second half. It's um, it's it's disappointing. Um, but, you know, the buck stops with me. And, and I've got to get our football team to understand and recognize that, um, you know, <laughs> You've, you've got to play this game for four quarters with, with a mentality. Um, and we just did not, for some reason, we thought we were somebody else. We thought we were the two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs or something. I don't know what we thought, but um, we were mistaken. Well, that, that's all you, Kelly. I mean, I don't know why in the hell he's coming out here saying this. He said they were going to whoop Florida State's ass in his uh, coach's show leading up to this game. Well, his team got their ass whooped. So, just an off. This was an awful ending to an awful weekend for the SEC. Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, the big games. SEC lost them all. They've got some making up to do this weekend, week two in the SEC with some. Some marquee matchups, some more non-conference matchups. We'll see how they do, but just awful. I'm still pissed off about it, but <laughs> that's why I'm on the A&M bandwagon. That's my new team. I'll probably just curse them just by saying that, but uh, <laughs> let's move on from that. Tennessee, if you missed it, we'll throw it up here on the YouTube channel. They're breaking out these uh, new alternate uniforms here against Austin P. And, and why am I bringing this up? Well, this marks 51 years since Conridge Holiday was the first quarterback in SEC history, Tennessee quarterback, he's got a statue outside the stadium. 51 years ago, he was the first black quarterback to start a game in SEC history. So they're wearing these jerseys to honor him, and it's just kind of funny. Some people are talk to a lot of Vols. A lot of Vols are not a fan of these jerseys, but for a good reason. So wanted to highlight that. I thought that was pretty cool. And... Some injury news here from Kentucky. We were worried about Kenneth Horsey. Looked like he may be lost for the season. Mark Stoop says good news here. Just, uh, I mean, it's it's still a significant injury. Out for a couple weeks. Didn't give a specific timeline. But it's not going to be season ending for Kenneth Horsey. So that's great news. And uh, Alabama's, they've had some injury updates as well. But we'll we'll get that into that more next on the next episode with Cousin Shane as we preview this big Texas and Alabama game. Uh, but that's pretty much it. A little bit of a slow news day in the SEC. It's a holiday and all that. But I'll tell you who it wasn't slow with, and that's with old Stephen Lass and Athlon Sports. Deep dive on all things SEC heading into week two. Let's kick it over this outstanding interview. All right, it's Tuesday, so you know what that means. It means it's time for Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Stephen what a time it was this weekend with all the college football action. How you doing, my friend? Oh man, Mike, I, I was in heaven on Saturday. <laughs> I, you know, I had uh, I was telling you before we started. I had the the YouTube TV and 
the multi-view and the laptops and the TVs going. There were seven, eight games going on at the same time. Just trying to keep up with them all is a challenge, but hey, it's just good to have college football back. A full Saturday of games. Um, you know, I know we're the SEC podcast here, so I wish it was a little <laughs> better weekend for the SEC, but hey, uh, it's just great to have college football back. Yeah, and we got to start with the negativity. I, I apologize, Stephen, right off the bat. But it was it was an awful weekend for the SEC, particularly in you know the marquee matchups, the ones that the SEC is usually dominating. So uh, let's start right there with, of course, LSU, FSU. Just broke my heart on national television here Sunday night. Uh, what what was your thoughts on that? And uh, I, I guess based on your pre- your prediction, it probably wasn't that big of a surprise to you. I thought it would be a much more competitive game. Um, you know, I, what was interesting was when I was watching the first half, it felt like a very high-level matchup. Like it had the feel of like a college football playoff, like semifinal. It had a much different just vibe than some of the other games that we saw this weekend. And the first half was great. And then uh, the second half was just a completely different story. I I think maybe the best way to sum this up is it's never as bad as it looks and it's never as good as it looks in week one. And if we just go back to last season, LSU lost to Florida state in the season opener, ended up winning the sec West. So I think certainly Monday or Sunday night showed a ton of of concerns that need to be addressed going forward for this team. But just keep in mind, it's not the end of the season. The the SEC championship, winning winning the SEC West, potentially getting into the playoff, it's still all there uh, for LSU. So just let's not overreact to to week one. But we also have to react because uh, I think Florida State's a top five team at this point. And that was a pretty impressive uh, showing all around by Florida State. Well, Stephen, you're one of the smartest guys I know, so that's why I love having you on with these conversations. But considering how much you follow this stuff, can you clue me in? Because I, I can, for the life of me, cannot figure this out. What in the hell is LSU doing with Harold Perkins, basically using him as a spy, using him as coverage? I mean, to me, it looked like they took their best player completely out of the game. What's your thoughts on that? I agree with you. I don't get it. Um, I, I think when I think of Harold Perkins, I think of difference maker, habit creator. Um, you, you know, I think it's it's hard like on first watch to to know like was he how important was he to keeping Jordan Travis in the pocket? Because we saw like LSU did, I think for the most part, there was a couple of times where Travis broke out and he made some plays on the run. But for LSU to have a chance to win that game, giving the se- given the secondary concerns you had to contain Jordan Travis. And so I think he played a role in that. But to me, you know, Harold Perkins is your best defensive player with Mason Smith out for the game. You've got to find ways for him to create havoc, uh, force a turnover, do some of the things that he did last season. I mean, you know, pro football focus charted him for 28 snaps in pass coverage and seven for rushing the quarterback. And, and obviously given that Travis is a little different than some of the quarterbacks that they'll see this year, but you know, I think LSU has got to find a way to get their best defensive player more involved and create more havoc going forward because they've got to find ways to protect the secondary. I mean, Mississippi State's coming up. They're going to have to play Ole Miss. Um, there's some there's some tough passing offenses still on the schedule this year. Yeah, and credit to you, Stephen. You, I mean, you nailed this. When we had you on last week, we were talking about this game, and you said the biggest 
potential issue is going to be LSU secondary against these FSU receivers. And certainly Florida State exposed uh, their advantage right there. Is this something that is solvable for LSU or, or, you know, is it maybe just these Florida State receivers and Jordan Travis are so good that, that they were able to exploit it or, or could this be a season long issue? Cause I know some people are down on the quarterback play in the SEC, but there's, there's a hell of a lot of good quarterbacks that LSU could potentially still face uh, between now and the end of the season. Oh yeah. I mean, just looking at their schedule, Mississippi state, Arkansas, Ole Miss coming up. Um, just in the next, you know, what, four or five games for, for LSU. So there's no doubt about it. I mean, this secondary is going to be under pressure. Uh, there's, there's no gimmies really once, you know, you had grambling coming up this week, but after that, you hit SEC play again. So I think I kind of look at it in kind of two different ways here. I think number one, get Mason Smith back, get him, get him into the lineup and let's see how the defense evolves from there. And then maybe Harold Perkins. I know they want to use him a little differently at linebacker this year, but maybe the, the kind of the overall equation on, on defense changes with Mason Smith back in there, and we see how LSU adjusts from the first game. I think the secondary is going to be a little bit of a concern all year long, and a little bit might be understating it because that was the weakness coming into this season, second year in a row where they've had to go out and get transfers, albeit this group has a lot more eligibility left, so they'll probably grow together and improve. I think this Florida State team, if you look at the weapons, I think Jordan Travis is a top five quarterback. Um, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson were both top 10, top 15 receivers in college football. They may not see a kind of combination of all those things together. Um, this is by far one of the best offensive trios, arsenals, however you, you want to word it uh, this year. So it's, it's a little bit of both. Uh, for LSU, but I think you know we'll find out a lot more on September 16th when they play Mississippi State. I think to see some growth in this area by the Tigers. And how good is that Florida State defensive line? I, I realize verse, you know, they kept highlighting him every 30 seconds. It seemed like in that game for for good reason. But uh, I mean, I felt like the game was. I knew it was lost, Stephen, when LSU right out the gate two times goal to goal situations, and they came away with nothing with a, an ex, experienced offensive line that brought everybody back. I thought this was going to be a strength of this football team and they couldn't push it, you know, push the ball in the end zone twice. You're, you're simply not going to win a big time matchup like this in those situations. You have to either you get it and you win those games or you, you, st- you get stopped and the, and the defense is, you know, that's the team that's going to win it. Ultimately, you know, I, I wouldn't say that was the deciding factor, but I, you can kind of tell the outcome when something like that happens. So, um, how big of a surprise was that, it, it, that LSU's offensive line kind of got dominated on the goal line? I was surprised at, at the offensive line. I, I, I Like you, I thought coming into this year from the youth and the turnover that they had last season would pay dividends this year. And, and I think it probably will. I mean, I think when you're starting so many uh, you know, fresh, you know, sophomores and juniors now in that group, like it will improve from game one to game two. Florida State's defensive line is really good, too. I mean, they've got difference makers at tackle. You mentioned Jared Verse. He's probably going to be a first-round pick next year. So they really have the combination of edge rushers and guys on the interior who can really cause a problem. But, you know, when you go back and look at the stat sheet from last night's game, I mean, 70-something of LSU's rushing yards came on two plays. And, you know... I know it's cliche to say this, but the SEC is a line of scrimmage league. And you start thinking down the road, 
LSU is going to have to play Texas A&M. They're going to have to play Alabama. They're going to have to play these other teams in the SEC. If you get to the SEC championship, you're going to probably have to play Georgia. So the offensive line is another part of this too. Like the secondary has got to improve, but Jaden Daniels can handle a lot. I didn't think that he played all that poorly uh, last night in that game. I think that LSU's got to find a way to get some better balance, and they've got to find a way to get this offensive line playing better, especially once they reach uh, kind of the heart of SEC play. Well, and it was a heartbreaker on Saturday night too, Stephen, for uh, South Carolina and the SEC really because another ACC team came out on top. I was blown away by by Drake May aside from his two interceptions. I thought, you know, he was a fantastic performance by him. Uh, thoughts on South Carolina, who, again, it's hard to imagine Spencer Rattler playing as well as he did, and they they still lost by two touchdowns. I'm not hitting the panic button in Columbia, but uh, what was your thoughts to, to South Carolina kind of be let down performance in the big game on Saturday night? I was the idiot because I, I picked South Carolina. I thought this is a, a game that South Carolina needed to get considering the schedule and considering what's coming up in SEC play right away. But, you know, I think if we go back, like every concern you had about South Carolina coming into the season, it played out on Saturday night. I mean, offensive line is is a major issue. You know, they need to be able to run the ball. I mean, you look at the running backs that um, they used on Saturday. I think the longest rush was like six yards from a running back. And that's not going to, that's not going to cut it once you get into the heart of SEC play. So, Line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, rushing attack. I think they've got to find ways to to tweak those as the season goes along. Um, you know, we one of my big questions was, what do we expect out of Dow Loggins, and, and how does that translate to Spencer Rattler? I actually thought they were fine. Like, I mean, the least of, of South Carolina's concerns on on Saturday were play calling and Spencer Rattler. Maybe you could critique a few things here and there get Juice Wells healthy for for the heart of SEC play coming up. But I think it's critical that South Carolina fixes the line of scrimmage. I think you have to give Shane Beamer a little bit of benefit of the doubt here because they have gotten better the last two years. Also, too, North Carolina is pretty dang good. Uh, and, and I think, like you said, Drake May is is really, really good. Like He might be the first or second overall pick in next year's draft. But also, they've had several players on that defensive front who were highly touted coming out of high school and they haven't produced. Maybe the light switch went on for the entire defense this offseason, and maybe they've transformed into uh, one of the ACC's better defenses. So I, I think we'll have to wait and see, but I think regardless of how that uh, of what North Carolina does, I think it's pretty obvious that South Carolina has to get a lot better at the line of scrimmage in a hurry uh, to try to maybe get to seven or, or even eight wins this year. So you're not firing Beamer just yet? Not yet. <laughs> I, in, all, in all seriousness, I mean, you, you look at this team, and, and like we've talked about, I mean, they have gotten better during the course of the season. It's just one – I hate – I mean, we only get 12 regular season games. It's only game one, and I think North Carolina is pretty good. So I would say let's exercise a little bit of patience here. Let's see where this program goes from game two to game 12. But do you, you think it's fair to say though South Carolina will have to upset one of the teams that we maybe project them to to lose down the line in order for them to uh, to kind of meet preseason expectations? Is, is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement, I think. I mean, especially when you think about non-conference wise, one of the other games coming up is Clemson. You know, Clemson will be a top 15, 20 team, maybe even higher 
uh, this season. So they they already have a t- even though they they beat Clemson last year, and, and of course it's at Columbia this year. But it is a tough non conference games, and and you you still have to play Georgia, you still have to play Tennessee, you get your crossovers too. So the path to six wins was already difficult. Now one of your more winnable toss up games is already a loss. So I do think they are going to need an upsetter or maybe even two to get to six, seven wins this year. Mm. So the other one that was, I mean, it's just, it don't matter what day it was, Stephen, it was a disappointment for the SEC. I think the biggest disappointment was the Florida Gators considering how many players, key players that Utah had out. And because it was the first really big game of the college football season. But I mean, Florida just got embarrassed on national television. Uh, thoughts on, on the Gators 24 to 11 loss at Utah. You know, on on one hand, Florida lost, and that's not surprising because Utah was favored. I think Utah is a top 15 team. They might even, they're the two-time defending champ of the Pac-12. Um, they could be even better than they were last season. But I think it's 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 the loss combined with some of the things within the game that really worries me if I'm Florida. There's no reason to have two players with the same jersey number in the first game on special teams. Uh, some of the other mistakes, catching punts inside the five-yard line. It, it seems like Billy Napier is really stubborn about hiring a special teams coordinator. <laughs> um, maybe this ought to be a wake-up call. Um, I don't know that it seems like that, judging by his uh, his comments after the game and, and the course early this week. I, I will I will say this, and I will probably get some hate for this, but I don't think Graham Mertz was necessarily the reason why Florida lost that game on Thursday night. I don't think he played well enough for them to win, but it's hard to evaluate Florida as a team when your offensive line and running game are basically non-existent. The the Utah pass rush, which is very good, you know, gave Florida's offensive line a ton of trouble. There was no running game to speak of. Really no urgency either by the staff, and the, the play calling was questionable at times too. So in some respects, I expected Florida to lose, but I also think that once you step back beyond the loss and sort of go inside some of these things, I think that it concerns you probably a little bit more than you were if it, if it was just a loss at this point. Right, and now I would have to imagine, I'm, I'm curious if you would agree, Stephen, that I mean, this upcoming week, McNeese, no one's, they can win by 200 points. No, one's, no one cares. Two weeks, Tennessee comes to town. As a Florida fan, you don't lose to Tennessee. And you particularly do not lose to Florida at home in Gainesville. To me now, all the pressure in the world is on Billy Napier and the Gators. Because if they drop that one, I don't know. I, I view that as one of their more winnable games, even though it's, they're probably going to be an underdog in it. Absolutely. I think, first of all, I think one thing that would help Florida is getting their starting center back. Like, so I think you have to look at it like this. You've got 10 days or however many it is. You've got this week in the McNeese state game this week, then, then leading up to the Tennessee game. Like you said, whatever happens on Saturday, like Florida's supposed to win this game by a lot and they should, um, they should take out a lot of frustration from the Utah game. But for me, this is all about gearing up for that Tennessee game, you know, two weeks from now, because Tennessee is going to come into this game uh, with, you know, Joe Milton making a road start. We're going to learn a lot about Tennessee. We're going to learn a lot about Florida. So I think there's a, there's a chance here for Florida to sort of reset the narrative a little bit. If they can correct some of these things that we saw in week one, 
there's mistakes and there's all kinds of things that happen in week one that's fixable. Teams get a lot better from week one to week two and from week one to week five. And I think if you're Florida, the hope is that you've played one game, you've had a lot of tra- you had some transfers, you had some freshmen, some younger players starting, tough place to play. Now you're going to get Tennessee at home. It's sort of a chance to reset the narrative. So I think the next 10 to 14 days for Florida, getting healthy, kind of getting the ship pointed in the right direction is really critical for Billy Napier. So of the three teams that embarrass the SEC, that's, I'm just calling it like it is, Stephen, Florida, South Carolina, and LSU, which of those three do you feel the most confident that they can turn around and make the most of this season? I'd go LSU. I, I still believe in this team. You know, I think that this team is very much a viable contender for the SEC West. You know, we're going to learn a lot about Alabama this week when they play Texas. I was impressed by Texas A&M on Saturday too. So maybe the, instead of being a two-team race, it's maybe it's a three-team race. I, I don't want to. I don't want to overreact to week one, but I, I think Florida State is really good, and, and I think that's that's we're going to learn a lot uh, as the season progresses, and maybe our opinions change, but. LSU still has, I mean, they still have one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. I think their defense up front will settle in. And also, I hate to go back to this. We saw this last year. Like LSU lost in the opener and got better as the season went on. So in Brian Kelly, I trust. I I think LSU will be just fine. So similar question then, which of, obviously it's not LSU, South Carolina or Florida, which of those do you feel the least confident that they can turn this around. And and again, I'm not saying win the SEC or anything like that, but maybe by the end of the season, the fans are thoroughly satisfied with how the season play plays out. Which one of those two you're least confident that that can happen? I would go Florida. I think just based upon preseason expectations at this point, you know, we've seen Florida play one game and the glaring concerns that we had are just about that or even greater. Um, I also think like Florida's margin for error seems small to me. Like they're going to have to be able to run the ball well, play good defense, probably win a lot of 27, 24, um, you know, 24, 20 type games. I think the difference in the two teams is I feel really good about South Carolina's quarterback situation. I think Spencer Rattler is one of the top half uh, quarterbacks in the league. You know, I had him, I think, fourth or fifth coming into the SEC in my preseason rankings. If, if when the, both these teams have question marks, I think at the line of scrimmage, but South Carolina has an edge at quarterback. And we also saw proof of concept. They, they've gotten better over the last two seasons. So I'll take South Carolina to be the one, the one out of those two. I feel more confident South Carolina will turn things around. I think Florida, the least confident right now. Well, fortunately for the Gamecocks in that matchup, it's in Columbia, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, that that may ultimately answer that question. Who wins the head-to-head Florida at South Carolina after Florida really put a hurting on, on the Gamecocks last year? Absolutely. Yeah, getting that game at home is is huge. You know, just from swing, toss-up territory, I think if you're in a South Carolina schedule where it's really difficult this year. You're looking for you know, any kind of breaks in the schedule for an SEC schedule that you can find. So, yeah, if you're getting Florida at home, especially after the way that game went down last season, that's a huge win. That's a huge uh, opportunity for for Beamer and the staff. And, you know, one thing we should say, too, Beamer ball. I mean, the the kickoff in the uh, second half to steal the possession and then the defense for South Carolina play a little bit better in the third and fourth quarter. So 
I, the offensive line is bad. There's no doubt in that. But I also think that there's there's some other optimism here if you're South Carolina going into week two. I've never seen a coach, they get a trick play and the coach still complaining. Damn, chain gain in the hot dogs, people. You know what? I've never seen that before, though. I've never seen the, the chain uh, guys late after halftime. I, I mean, I've, there's been a lot of things with you know delays with the chains and maybe the scoreboard doesn't work. I've never seen that before. You know, just uh, not not good enough. I mean, we got them. Uh, do we have any stats? Anybody? It's kind of the story of the night. Clock was wrong the whole game. Game. We're trying to kick an onside kick to start the second half, and we got to wait on the chain crew because they're eating a hot dog. That's the only disappointing thing about tonight. So um, I don't know what if things came out to be. Statistics. Well, we're gonna have some uh, some big time matchups once again, week two in the SEC. Stephen, I I can't wait to dive into these with you. We've got uh, you know these these rankings they'll they'll change because they've they've not updated the poll, but rankings are kind of irrelevant. Anyway, this time of year. But we got Texas currently ranked number 11, number four, Alabama. The game's in Tuscaloosa, college game day, and SEC Nation. Both pegged to be down there because it's such a big game. Future SEC foes. Heck, I, I consider Longhorns SEC already. But uh, th- thoughts on this matchup, Stephen? And and I don't know about you, but I was bl- blown away, I think is the right word, for, for Jalen Milrow and and how he looked as the starting quarterback, I, I get it. It was against MTSU, not the greatest of competition, but he looked outstanding. And then on the flip side, I was, quite frankly, I was terribly disappointed in Texas after all this hype. And it's just one game, I get it, but they play like they did against Rice. They're going to they're gonna get destroyed by Alabama on Saturday. What What's your thoughts? Yeah, also should note Sark versus Saban, sort of the, the pupil versus the teacher. Uh, considering you know how important Sarkeesian has been to Alabama's run in, in recent years, I, I do think um, you know when you kind of look at the setup for this game, there's sort of that narrative that's going on here. Like Texas is, we we hear it every off season. Is Texas back? Well, they haven't been picked to win the Big Twelve in some time, but they are this year. So if they go on to win the Big Twelve this year, and they I guess do well in the SEC next year, I think that's officially back. The other side of it is is Alabama. I think I'm. That was a very promising debut, I think, for for Jalen Milrow. Like you saw the things you wanted to see. I love the 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 busted play running it in for a touchdown was was awesome. Uh, also, the deep passing that we saw. I think you saw a lot of things that you wanted to see from the Texas A and M game last season to this year. A lot of positives there. I think the challenge goes up a lot this week, though. I mean, Texas from a defensive front can get after you. They have um, ex- you know experience at linebacker. Jalen Ford is one of the Big 12's better linebackers. Good secondary too. Old SEC friend Jalen Catalone is starting at safety uh, for Texas. So uh, there's a lot of intrigue for me just in this matchup because it is Texas trying to, um, I guess, announce they are back. I think if Alabama wins, I think we can safely say that. I don't know necessarily that the uh, that the Crimson Tide are going to be number one at the end of the year, but I think some of those preseason question marks that we had, they're probably going to end up being just fine. So I, I think it is a narrative type of matchup. But I think also to to your point on Texas, the offensive line for Texas has to play a lot better than it did against Rice. Uh, you know, I think you kind of got the sense like reading through Sarkeesian's comments, he's not overly concerned, but they just kind of 
you know, going through the motions to beat Rice, knowing Alabama's ahead this week. I think that's probably a, you know, probably what happened there. I think if you're if you're Alabama, like a couple things to watch, like Quinn Ewers, the accuracy on the deep passes, some injuries at safety from Alabama, Jalen Key, Malachi Moore. We'll have to watch those as the week progresses, and then just to watch the the, the bat the matchup in the trenches. Um, the offensive line for Alabama, can they get the push in the run game against Texas defensive front? And the same thing, um, too, with Texas. Like the offensive line's got to play way better than it did against Rice to win on Saturday night. Are there any particular matchups that come to mind that uh, clearly favor Texas uh, against Alabama? I- is there any? I think the Texas receivers, I think one of the better groups in the country, Xavier Worthy, All-American receiver, also Jatavian Sanders, one of the best tight ends in, in college football, A.D. Mitchell, uh, old SEC friend, A.D. Mitchell's over at Texas too. Like They are deep at receiver, and I think with the turnover that Alabama's had in the secondary, like that, that is one group I think that Texas may have an edge on. Uh, also, I think good to see Caleb Downs. You know, He had a good night on Saturday against MTSU, so I think if you're Alabama, one of your top freshmen as expected playing well at safety, if they can get some of those guys healthy, you know, it sort of mitigates your concern about the depth uh, of playmakers that te- Texas has at receiver and tight end. Now, what about the reverse? Is there any position groups uh, or just any anything in general that you think Alabama's got a, a potentially a big edge on Texas in this matchup? It's a good question because, you know, I, I don't right off the top. I don't know that there is like one glaring edge for Alabama. But it and, and the other kind of part of that is I don't think both teams showed their full hand mm-hmm. either way. In week one, like Texas playing Rice, Alabama playing MTSU. There's a lot of unknown for me about both these teams and some of these groups. I think if you if you wanted to take advantage of probably Texas defensively, like they've had some turnover at linebacker. They're going to have some younger corners who are out there playing on Saturday night. So maybe there are some opportunities where if you can get some of your playmakers matched up against some youth in a tough spot at night in Tuscaloosa, uh, maybe you can take advantage of them there. I, I think like, like for Texas, for Alabama, I also want to see this offensive line too. Um, this Texas defensive front, we saw um, last week to Vondre Sweat. We've seen some other guys for Texas last year uh, and on Saturday against Rice um, have flashed a, a, a good opportunity, good potential. So I think it'll be interesting to see if if that Alabama offensive line can live up to the hype against a pretty good Texas defensive front. Is it safe to say that uh, I, I realize you know every team's unique, you know, coach speaking all that, but any most of the players of the Texas, you know, I would assume played last year. Any Big Twelve venues that are even comparable to Bryant Denny, or or will these guys just be simply walking into an environment? That, uh, that that they have never experienced before? It's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's funny, is probably one of the better Big 12 stadiums, or, or really there's no doubt about it, Oklahoma. But, of course, Texas and Oklahoma play the neutral site. So, I mean, you start looking at some of those stadiums and, and venues in the Big 12, you know, Morgantown with West Virginia is a tough place to play. It's a long road trip, and, and of course, West Virginia fans are great. I would say just in terms of, Big 12 venues, like there really is no comparable like spot going to Tuscaloosa and playing in front of 100,000 fans at night. Um, and, and also just the, the the whole setup for this game, too. I mean, the fact that Texas had Alabama on the edge last year and Quinn Ewers looked so good for those like first eight passes or so that he threw and then he got hurt. So I, I think you know, we've seen even 
go back to to Sunday night's game. Jordan Travis of Florida State. You know, he's a he's a senior quarterback. He started you know a ton of games. He was you know the, the nerves early on got to him. So I could certainly see that the crowd uh, for Alabama could be a huge edge on on Saturday. And I'm I'm assuming Stephen, everyone is going to make this a matchup of uh, like you like even you suggested Sark and that offense versus Saban and that defense. But what about the others, uh, Tommy Reese and, and the Alabama offense versus Texas defense? Who, uh, I apologize, I should have looked up the guy's name, but I, I hear they got Pete a hell. Of, yeah, I hear yeah. he's a hell of a defensive coordinator. I mean, maybe just looking at the coaching edge, I would assume just based on what I know about him that, that Texas has an edge there. Uh, would would you agree with that? I would. Um, I also go back to something that you and I talked about just a few minutes ago. I don't think that Alabama showed everything offensively that they needed to. Like, I think they had to do some things to figure out where exactly Jalen Milrow was in a game situation. And I think they did that. But And I think they can show more offensively um, this week. But I think it, just in terms of where Texas is defensively, they made major strides. Uh, under uh, Kwiatkowski from year one to year two. And now you look at year three, just from a talent perspective, the talent level on this defense is rising and also the stat sheet too. They were much better from year one uh, to year two. So I think just from his experience, you know, he was the the defensive coordinator at Washington Mm -hmm. under Chris Peterson. um, And that group was consistently one of the best in the country. Um, I think based upon that, plus the experience that he has probably an edge there for Texas in terms of just coaching matchups. Taking a break from the show to let you know we're brought to you by MyBookie Sportsbook. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today and put in that promo code. That S-E-C, T-H-A-T-S-E-C over at MyBookie.ag and they're willing to give you a 50% instant deposit match. All new users up to a thousand bucks Head on over mybookie.ag today. This is the number one way to help the podcast grow and stay independent. Heck, guys, I moved all the way to Cousin Shane's duplex here just for y'all to give you the best content we can this SEC football season. Uh, How can you return the favor? By heading over to mybookie.ag, signing up for a new account, and using that promo code that. SEC to get a 50% initial deposit bonus today over at my bookie. Fade our picks. You're going to be making money here every weekend of the college football season. There's a link to this in the show notes. Would really, really, really help us out if you take advantage of this sponsorship opportunity. We're also brought to you by Game Time Sidekicks. Very pleased to be partnered once again with Game Time Sidekicks. This is NCAA officially licensed. Tumblers, cups, dog bowls, they got it all. The entire SEC, Texas and Oklahoma included, and the entire Power Five represented by Game Time Sidekicks. They've got some pretty outstanding new collections, NIL collections with players. Uh, We featured the Joe Milton one proudly on our set. They've got players from all SEC teams. Head on over to GameTimeSidekicks.com. Promo code SEC, that's the important part. At checkout, promo code SEC gets you 20% off your entire order over at Game Time Sidekicks, and you will not be disappointed by this outstanding product over here at Game Time Sidekicks. Take advantage of this. Head on over to the checkout, SEC, for 20% off your entire order. 
Well, now, what about uh, this? Is an interesting matchup here, Stephen. Ole Miss going all on the road at Tulane. This is one a lot of people have had circled since Tulane beat Southern Cal in uh, what was it, the Cotton Bowl last year. So, um, I mean, is this? Not, I don't even know if you want to call it an upset, but is, is this uh, you know the the potential for an upset after Ole Miss come out here and? I realize Mercer's not a great opponent, but, I mean, they absolutely drilled them. Uh, what's your thoughts on this matchup, Ole Miss at Tulane? Yeah, I think it is a tough matchup for Ole Miss. I mean, if you look at the way Tulane is is built. They lost Tajay Spears, their top running back to the NFL. He plays for the Titans. Um, they're sort of running back by committee. That that team is built on on running the football and, of course, their offensive line. But they sort of shifted a little bit, too, uh, over the last year and a half. Michael Pratt. Uh, their quarterback, I think he's one of the top 25 quarterbacks in the country. And you look at what he did in the opener against South Alabama. I mean, 14 of 15, he shredded a good South Alabama defense. So I, I think we're seeing a little bit of a shift in terms of where Tulane is this year offensively. I think it was more balanced in the past. This year, I think it's shifting a little bit to that passing game for Tulane. They also have some younger receivers who had nice debuts against South Alabama too. So I think it is a tough matchup for Ole Miss just because Tulane is ranked. I think they're the top group of five team. They're getting them at their place in New Orleans, and they've got a difference maker at quarterback. Also, uh, their head coach, Willie Fritz, like he is, he's one of the, I've got him as one of the top 25 coaches in college football. He has won a lot of games at different places. He beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. So playing high-profile teams at home, on the road, in bowl sites, I don't think Tulane will be intimidated. They are a veteran team with a good quarterback. So this is absolutely a game, if you're Ole Miss, you do not want to take lightly. So it sounds like we may have um, a nice possibility for a for a high-scoring affair with, uh, I know they Ole Miss added Pete Golding and they're expecting good things, but still, I mean, this is just going to be game two, a lot of transfers, a lot of young players. So they're not going to be anywhere close to where they probably will be by the end of the season. Could could this be uh, uh, a game where you're Stevens almost guaranteeing the over? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know. I did terrible in my picks against the spread in week one, so I don't. I don't know if you should take any betting advice from me for this week. But I think you're right. I think with the firepower that both teams have, you know, you've got a, a proven quarterback with Michael Pratt and, and Tulane, and you've got Jackson Dart, who had a really nice performance on Saturday. I think that was one of the narratives going into the season was the um, year one to year two jump for Jackson Dart, trying to hold off um, Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard. Certainly looks like he did that. And then you add in Quinshot Judkins, you add in um, you know Harris and Williams, some of your playmakers that you got from the transfer portal or the recruiting trail. Like there is a lot of offensive firepower here. So I would not be surprised if this game is a little bit back and forth and some points scored. I don't know if I'd go with the over just yet, but I think we'll definitely see some good quarterback play, which generally lends itself to a little bit higher scoring game. Yeah. And do you uh, at all buy into the belief that, uh, like you said, Michael Pratt, I'm not trying to take away anything from him, but this is going to be an opportunity. A lot of eyes on this game for Jackson Dart to kind of uh, announce himself as one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. There's a reason, Stephen, that I put him number three in my quarterback projections in the SEC. I think he's poised for a huge year. He showed that in the opener, but again, against a very weak opponent. I get it, but um, I, I think this is an opportunity for Jackson Dart to outduel a guy that 
that you and many have as a top 25 quarterback in the country, uh, I, I think Jackson Dart is going to have a really big game. Could you see that? Absolutely. So Tulane gave up 4.3 yards per play in the opener against South Alabama. And South Alabama is a good um, offense, too. Um, you know, they have a they have a proven quarterback and they've got weapons. So that, that Tulane's defensive performance in week one um, was good. And they were a pretty solid defense last year. They've had some turnover in the secondary and at linebackers. So I think, to your point, what I'm looking for is on the road, against a good defense with potential vulnerabilities in the secondary and at linebacker. If I'm Ole Miss, I want to see Jackson Dart continue to develop, and the opportunity is there. I like what I saw in the opener, and I like the weapons that they have around him. Like this receiving core, also Zakari Franklin didn't, you know, is still injured. So I think if you can get him back at some point this year to go with Harris and Williams and some of these other playmakers, you know, this this will be a much more versatile Ole Miss offense this year is to go with Quinshaw Judkins on the ground. So I think this is absolutely a great opportunity for Jackson Dart. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced Judkins because I did want to ask, and I, I think this is an easy assumption, but I assume he's the best individual player that Tulane and their defense will see all year. I think that's fair. Yeah, they'll they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll play UTSA quarterback uh, Frank Harris, who's pretty good, but by far I think – uh, Quinshot Judkins will be the best uh, player that they see. I, I was wondering if you were going to ask me a bet on because of Jay this week. So I was. <laughs> hey, you nailed it. I mean, they they were. I think they were saving Judkins up for for this game and and obviously for the SEC season. They were they were not gonna. They were never gonna give him thirty carries in the opener against Mercer. You know what? Oh yeah, there was no need to. I mean, look, look. I mean, outside of that one play that Mercer had on a on the quarterback run, I mean. Ole Miss dominated. I mean, that was a good that was a good debut. I mean, for Ole Miss, I mean, they checked the boxes. Explosive offense, defense played well in Pete Golding's opener. Um, I, I really there was really not much to be mad about if you're Lane Giffen. <laughs> All right, how about uh, A and M Stephen on the road at Miami? Um, head over heels with this offense with Bobby Petrino running it. They're throwing the ball down the field. My God, imagine. Texas A&M slinging the football with a five-star quarterback and all these receivers that they've had, you know, for years and years and years down there. Now, I mean, I I I got confidence just looking over there on the sideline and Jimbo Fisher having nothing but uh, no papers in his hands. I knew that was a good sign, Stephen. I was blown away. I get it. New Mexico, not a great team, but uh, I think A&M's poised to do some big things. How do you see this matchup with uh, the Miami Hurricanes on the road? I think the first thing that jumps out to me is like it's a it's sort of like the the prove it bowl game of like regular season because both these teams were massive disappointments um, last year and there was a lot of you know high expectations for Mario Cristobal in his first season and of course we all know what happened to A and M so there's there's sort of like a prove it opportunity here for one of these two teams to announce that hey we're back like last year was a fluke we're back. Um, I will share with you this number that I found interesting about Connor Wigman's debut. 14.8. That was his average depth of target in the opener. The best of any starting quarterback in week one. So if you're if you're looking at AM, the tempo was there, more versatility in terms of uh, formations and, pl- and players used, the deep passing by Connor Wigman to go with those weapons at receiver. I saw everything I needed to see. I know New Mexico wasn't very isn't very good. I know they mm-hmm. they weren't going to threaten A and M on Saturday, but I left that game very optimistic 
about Texas A&M's offense and Connor Wigman and Bobby Petrino, that combination working together going forward. So I, I think this game against Miami will be interesting too. Miami struggled at giving up deep passes last year. Near the bottom of the ACC in plays of 40-plus allowed. They've brought in some transfers at corner. So it's a little bit different of a defense. And they have a new defensive coordinator in Lance Guidry, who was at Tulane last year. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of change there. But I think we'll see if this carries over. But the opportunity is certainly there based upon what happened to uh, Miami secondary last season. Yeah, and I mean, I hope I'm not uh, hyping them up too much. And this is just going to be the huge letdown performance for the Aggies. But, um, you know, what are, what are the odds that uh, that you think it's kind of fool's gold what they did against New Mexico? I don't think it's fool's gold at all. Um, now, that may, may be foolish for me to say that this may, this may not age well. I, I may end up on uh, – I may have every uh, Miami fan mad at me on the internet yeah. uh, by next week. But I think if – like, let's just take a step back for a second and look at what Texas A&M has. I mean, they've got, a, like you said, a five-star quarterback. They've got – like, talent was never the issue for this team last year. Like, the talent is there for this offense at every position – um, to take a massive step forward from the 2022 performance. I'd like to see them run the ball a little bit better, but I think those things will come together in time. I think everything that I saw in the opener is transferable into uh, the rest of the year. So this is a much better test. And I think we don't know a ton about Miami's defense because of the coordinator change, because of some of the transfers that they have. But if Connor Wigman and AM and that talent goes out there and has a good game Saturday on the road, you can start to you can start to start to fire the hype train up a little bit more as we go into <laughs> SEC play. And uh, fair to say, Stephen, that uh, Miami, I mean, as much NILs they throw around and all these coaches that they have and all this, but they don't have much of a home field advantage, do they? I mean, I'm I'm already seeing these Aggies. They're they're throwing up. Hey, if you're going to the game, look how many tickets are left, and it's it's damn near 85 percent of the stadium. That's that's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, when when Miami is good. Mm-hmm. And they have um, high-profile opponents. You know, their fans will go to the Dolphin, which is based there at the Dolphin Stadium. So it, it's a mm-hmm. little bit different of an atmosphere there. It's not really necessarily the home field that you would need. It, it's it's nowhere near Kyle Field and College right. Station. So I, I think so, you know something j- that just stands out to me about this game is last year's game was not very entertaining like it was a very it was a slog uh, on both sides of the ball i think we will see a a much more um, interesting game not only with texas a&m's offense but miami changed offensive coordinators tyler van dyke their quarterback struggled last season i thought he looked a lot better in the opener so i think if you're if you're an aggies fan and you're going to this game i think the odds that you leave uh miami gardens but at South Beach, wherever it is, uh, <laughs> I think the odds favor you leaving there with the victory. Yeah, just please, God, do not let the ACC get another win over the SEC. All right, how about uh, Arizona at Mississippi State? I know Arizona's got a pretty good quarterback, but I was very impressed. Again, I, I realized the opponent was nothing to write home about, but there was a reason, Stephen. You had it, uh, Southeast Louisiana as uh, high up when we met last week as uh, – not you didn't say upset, but you just said you know danger kind of maybe that's not even a right word, but just just all the unknowns with Mississippi State, they were dominant on the ground, which that's what you want to see against an opponent like that. Will Rogers was sharp, only one penalty, twenty three first downs I think in the game. Mike Wright they utilized him, 
Uh, they got Woody Marks going up. I mean, I was just very, very impressed. You know, that that was set up for a, a possibly a disappointing performance by Mississippi State, but they played a, a tremendous second half of football. What's your thoughts on this matchup against Arizona? Yeah, I think the first thing is you, you said it best there. I mean, the second half for Mississippi State um, checked all the boxes. Like it, it seemed like it took a half for this offense to really get rolling, um, but not surprising given the the changeover at coordinator, new scheme, some of the other new things going on there. But I think you, you saw some things that you like, which was the ground game got going in the second half. I like the big plays from Mike Wright. Um, we also saw Whittemore get involved a little bit on the ground and through the air. So I think all, all in all, I mean, there's not really, I said this with Lane Kiffin, there really isn't much if you're Zach Arnett that you could be uh, too upset about. Maybe the slow start other than that. But this Arizona team, I think, will give us a much better idea of where Mississippi State is. I mean, number one, I'm not surprised that, you know, they they had to use some elements of their offense to beat, uh, you know, southeastern Louisiana. But I think this week we'll get a much better idea of what to expect because Arizona can score. Uh, their, their quarterback, Jaden Delora, uh, we saw this sometimes last year in the Pac-12. He can move around a lot, very athletic, almost sometimes too much to the negative to, to where he extends plays too long and then forces the ball, which creates in- interceptions. Good receiving core for Arizona, too. So I think that will test Mississippi State's biggest concern coming into the year, which was the secondary. So I'm looking forward to this one because last year's game, Pac-12 after dark, was fun. (laughs) I'm looking forward maybe to some points being scored in this one. And I think it's safe to say, Stephen, that um, you know Arizona will come in here. They'll be like, oh, this is a decent stadium, what have you, and then them cowbells get ringing. They won't, you know, that'll be affecting them all night long. I mean, I think they're in for uh, for a very, very tough environment. This is this seems like a game where the home crowd could will the team to victory. Would you agree with that? One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a they've played at um, at Utah. They've played at Oregon. They've played at Washington. I mean, those are tough venues, but. Going to Starkville and playing in front of those fans with the cowbells, like you mentioned, it's going to be tough. And and not to mention just the way that Mississippi State, I think, is constructed is really almost like the worst case scenario for Arizona. I mean, Arizona's defense gave up 39 points a game in Pac-12 contest last year. I think they're better in that side of the ball this year. It's still not very good. Like, so if you're <laughs> if you're Will Rogers, you're watching this going, man, I, I know we're not going to be the air raid this year. But there are going to be a lot of opportunities uh, to put a point. So between atmosphere, defensive front for Mississippi State, Will Rogers against the Arizona defense, I really like Mississippi State's odds this weekend. Nice. All right, how about uh, another Pac-12 matchup here, Stephen? Auburn at Cal. And, oh, Stephen, I know people don't want to sit here and listen to me to complain, but no fan of this Eastern time zone after not living it for so long, but Cal. 10.30 p.m. kickoff, so it'll be, it'll be 9.30 for, for the Auburn team. They're, they're used to that, but uh, the travel obviously could affect Auburn. Weird things happen out there. What can you tell us about Cal? How do they match up against Auburn? It, uh, do, do you think this could be a competitive ball game? 
SEC after dark, I guess, is the best <laughs> way to, uh, to put it. Mike, I, I think what I'm going to do is Hawaii host Albany this week. So I think I'm going to text you play-by-play of the Hawaii games every time now just to just to give you a hard time to, to make you stay up a little bit later and uh, and feel what all of those who, who, who watch Pac-12 football have to go through every week, man, the, by one or two in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> things get a little fuzzy. Uh, in this matchup specifically, I think the thing that worries you if you're Auburn, you know, Cal ran for 357 yards last week against North Texas. I don't think North Texas is very good defensively, and they, they struggled last year against the run. But the reason why I bring that up is, you know, Hugh Freeze has talked about this coming into the season and after the game against UMass on Saturday, which was stopping the run. This Cal team has a new offensive coordinator, old SEC friend Jake Spavital is the offensive coordinator Ooh. there. Uh, uh, Jaden Ott, their running back, is probably their best offensive weapon. Not sure what to expect from them at quarterback. Sam Jackson was their starter. He got hurt on Saturday. Ben Finley came in. He's a transfer from NC State. He played pretty well, all things considered. So uncertainty at quarterback, experienced offensive line that bulldozed North Texas defense uh, last week and a good set of running backs. Experienced defense, it wasn't good last year, but I do think it's probably better this year. Justin Wilcox, another old SEC friend, yeah. is is the head coach out there at Cal. So I, I think if you're Auburn, stopping the run is going to be key here, knowing it's a concern already for Auburn this season. We'll get a better idea of where their rush defense stacks up after Saturday. Anything stand out to you uh, from Auburn in the Hugh Freeze debut? Uh, it was a little bit of a slow start. It was 7-7 against UMass, and I was thinking, ooh, we might be in for a disappointing game here. And then they scored about 50 consecutive points there to blow their doors off. But uh, I was I was wildly impressed with, uh, with Auburn. What, what was your thoughts? Very impressed. I, I think just from the – start of having all of these new faces at quarterback, offensive line, receiver, you know, defensive scheme. And then, like you said, they had the slow start, but then they really put their foot to the pedal in second and third quarter uh, and pulled away. I I think the big takeaway for me is Peyton Thorne was solid, but I think some room to improve. I think some throws you'd like to see him connect on could just be better overall. Also, they're playing UMass. Like how, like how much of your offense do you really need to show against UMass? Like going forward, I think we'll see a, a much better idea of where this passing offense is. But also getting Robbie Ashford involved. Like he's one of your best weapons. Being able to use him wherever you need, especially not knowing Jarquez Hunter's status uh, for this week and going forward. So I, I like what Auburn did uh, all around. I thought that was a really impressive opener for Hugh Freeze. Yeah, and I just kind of feel like they're going to be a lot better by the end of the season than they are now, which they look pretty dang good already. So, I mean, that's if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm pretty fired up by that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the key. That's definitely the key for Auburn is if if you're an SEC play and, and George is going to get Auburn early, I think if you want to get Auburn, you want to get them early this year because of all the transition and new pieces. But I, I think – as far as just getting all of them going, like reloading, rebuilding, like the openers, they're pretty far along in their development and they have room to improve after an impressive win, uh, which I think makes them a scary team for the rest of the SEC the rest of the way. How about uh, Vanderbilt at Wake Forest, Stephen? I've been 
Again, we're, uh, it's wild, it's, and it's a good thing for Vanderbilt that we're sitting here kind of, well, at least I am, kind of complaining about their 2-0 and and maybe not looking good enough when, man, years ago they would have given their souls to be 2-0. and But uh, can they go on the road? They're, they're an underdog to Wake Forest. Do you think they can go on the road and get a, a big win? Because this, this, I mean, I hate to be so early with this statement, but uh, – a game like this could determine whether they make a bowl game or not. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think it is a key game for bowl eligibility for Vanderbilt because you start looking at the SEC schedule and you're trying to figure out, like, maybe you could talk yourself into, you know, two. Can you get to three? That's kind of a heavy lift for this team. Uh, like you, I was, you know, keeping an eye and, and watching the game on Saturday and sort of you have your hierarchy of games, you know, you're watching like <laughs> South Carolina, North Carolina's up there. And I thought at one point, Am I really going to have to move Alabama A and M and Vanderbilt to the main screen? But you know, you go back and, and you see what happened I, in I'm that s- game. Sorry to stop you, Stephen, but I will admit I call that an iPad game. This was the iPad game for yep. me on Saturday. Absolutely, yeah. That, that, it was it was ready to move from the iPad to like one of the main TVs, and I, and and I didn't envision that going into Saturday. So it was a little alarming but you know Vanderbilt also had some self-inflicted mistakes early on that sort of allowed Alabama A&M to kind of hang around and then I think they gave up a big play that resulted in a touchdown so all in all I think a little sluggish for Vanderbilt but the but I think the theme is hey they're 2-0 and if they can go on the road this week it's one step closer to bowl eligibility this is a tough matchup for them though I think the the biggest concern that Vanderbilt has showed this season is pass defense we saw this against Hawaii Wake Forest has one of the better receiving cores in the ACC. Mitch Griffiths, who's filling in after Sam Hartman transferred uh, to Notre Dame. He's had two starts, one last year, one this season. He's been impressive in both. If you're looking for a way for Vanderbilt to attack Wake Forest, turnover on the offensive line, uh, three new starters, and the secondary could be vulnerable. So this is a game that kind of similar. It's almost like you've got two good quarterbacks, some weapons on, on a receiver could be some scoring between these two teams. But I think if you're Vanderbilt, you want to see how your defense has improved from week one to week three, this matchup at wake forest, I think will give them a, a much better idea. How about uh middle Tennessee? We saw them in the, in the Alabama matchup, but this time on the road at Missouri thoughts on that. And uh, any takeaways from, I don't know it was just South Dakota, but the quarterback competition kind of, Seems like it's lingering on here in uh, Columbia. I think Brady Cook's your guy right now. I, I think I thought he played pretty well on uh, on Thursday night. I think obviously you would like to see them, you know, continue to stretch the field a little bit more. Um, but I thought, you know, just as far as watching him and watching velocity, arm strength, I think he looked a little bit better than last season, which isn't a surprise, given the shoulder injury um, last season. Love the idea of getting Luther Burden the ball 10 to 15 times in a variety of ways, whether it's handoffs, short passes, special teams. Um, he's your best offensive weapon. I think the the big storyline for me going into this game is Missouri's favored in a, in a big way for a reason. I think everything we saw against South Dakota, they should be able to do again. What you said on Thursday night about Missouri is critical. They get Kansas State next week. It's an, this is an opportunity, one more week, to continue to build on the offensive progress, You know, keep building the rotations on defense. Like some Johnny Walker had a great game against uh, South Dakota, too. So those things that you saw in week one, another opportunity to fine-tune those 
before you get Kansas State because if they beat Kansas State, they're going to be undefeated uh, going into that LSU game. Yeah, and all of a sudden, I mean, again, try not to overreact, but LSU doesn't look quite as formidable as they did a week ago. You know what? Yeah, and, and not to mention if Brady Cook and Luther Burden and some of these receivers um, continue to play like they are. I mean, if you're LSU, Missouri's probably not overall top to bottom as talented as, as Florida State, but Luther Burden, Kai Miller, uh, and some of these mm-hmm. other weapons could be a real handful for uh, for LSU secondary down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about, uh, well, <laughs> Ball State, Georgia. I mean, we don't really have to break that down too much, but uh, any any thoughts on the opener for the dogs? I mean, I thought, obviously, Carson Beck started a little slow, and that's somewhat concerning. Uh, but, you know, they got, they got rolling in the second half. Should be... I'll be I have a keen eye on this one though. Just if they start slow again, not hitting the panic button, but I'm I may move my hand o- over top of it if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the the first thing that jumped out to me was I went back to last year and remembered that Georgia had sort of sluggish outcomes against Samford and Kent State. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised. I'm not too alarmed yet. I think the the thing that would concern me is slow start after slow start. Then you get to SEC play and you're playing Auburn early on and maybe one of those other games. Like if you get started slow, like at some point it could catch up to you. And we really haven't seen Carson Beck execute in one of those like close game situations. So I, I would like to see Georgia come out a little bit faster this week. I know they played a lot of guys too. So they're really just at this point, it's treating it like a kind of like a preseason game. And really there was no threat of, uh, of Tennessee Martin, but I would like to see Georgia play a little bit sharper uh, overall performance this week. Uh, how about uh, Kent State at Arkansas? Again, Arkansas played a, a lesser comp competition team, but uh, KJ looks sharp. Defense forcing all kinds of turnovers. Kind of, I would have liked to have seen more run production, but you know, we'll we'll see if we get that in this one. And uh, Kent State shouldn't pose much of a challenge here, should they? No, they shouldn't. I have Kent State rated as the worst team in college football right now, number 133. (laughs) They have not one, not two, but zero returning starters on offense, uh, a new coaching staff too. So this should be an easy win uh, for Arkansas. I liked a lot of the things that we saw on Saturday with the defensive uh, performance. I know it was an overmatched opponent, but they played a lot of the transfers that they brought in thought there were a lot of guys, a lot of things they can build on. Also, one of the best plays of the weekend happened in that game was uh, when Western Carolina brought that rush defender. He just smacked into KJ Jefferson. It was almost like he hit a brick wall. Uh, but man, uh, that was one of my favorite plays of the weekend. Just just another reason that I enjoy watching uh, KJ Jefferson every week. Yeah, and then one, hey, off the radar, it's not – Technically an SEC game, but it is on this show. SMU at Oklahoma. Oklahoma looked wildly impressive against Arkansas State. Do you anticipate this to be a, a competitive matchup at all? As, as, I, as I understand it, heck, I don't even know what league SMU's in these days. Are they are they Big 12 this year? 
ACC coming up, man. They're right. in the eight, they're <laughs> in the American this year. I should have. We should have. You know, Cal is going to be in the ACC next year. Should have uh, SEC versus <laughs> ACC with Auburn going out there uh, this week, man. I thought Oklahoma was going to make Butch Jones cry on Saturday. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Oklahoma just really. I mean, just top to bottom, just a really impressive performance by this team. And I think you know, you and I talked uh, last week about how. I thought Oklahoma could be one of those candidates to go from six wins to 10 wins this year. And you saw why. I think the roster is better this year. A lot of the transfers that Venables and the staff have brought in fit their schemes better. Dylan Gabriel was sharp. Offensive line was sharp. SMU is interesting, and I think we'll get a better idea of just where Oklahoma is. SMU has brought in a lot of Power 5 transfers, guys from Miami, guys from Texas A&M. Uh, Texas, they have a a talented roster. They can also score. Uh, Preston Stone, uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the American, good weapons at receiver and running back. So I think Oklahoma wins this game, but I think it it gives us a better idea of just where the Sooners team is because SMU is way better on the scale of 133 than Arkansas State right now. (laughs) Well, we've already kind of hit on South Carolina, Florida, and LSU. They're all playing cupcakes those are pick your score type games, but two teams I've I have not talked to you about, and and they're playing cupcakes as well. But I just want to get your thoughts, Stephen. Tennessee hosting Austin P. Uh, any takeaways from the Virginia performance, which was somewhat up and down? Specifically, I'm talking about for Tennessee's special teams and their offense. Yet it was a dominating performance, which tells me Tennessee's one hell of a team. Uh, any thoughts from, and I know you were very curious to see Joe Milton thoughts on Joe Milton thoughts on Tennessee from the opener. I think, like you said, up and down, I think it's, it's probably pretty good for Tennessee. If there's where we're sitting here saying that they were inconsistent and they have offensive things that they can improve on and they beat a power five team by, you know, a 30 something points. Like, I think that's pretty good. That's a pretty good sign of where Tennessee is this year. I, I do think, you know, the the first thing that jumped out to me watching that game was some of the younger players on defense. I mean, Carter, Pierce, um, Barron, guys getting after the quarterback, creating havoc. Virginia's offensive line is not very good, but still, uh, that was an impressive performance by Tennessee's defense. And I think the same things we've talked about with Milton. He just needs to be a little bit more consistent, but you know, he had a drop pass. There was one he could be a little bit more accurate on, but I think, you know, the, the Joe Milton that we saw in the orange bowl, I think we're getting a version of, of him closer to that than the one that lost his starting job at Michigan and Tennessee. So I, I think all around that's a, that was a good sign for Tennessee to win that game and leave thinking, man, we, might have left a couple touchdowns on the board offensively if we just play a little bit better. Right. And and again, this Austin P, I mean, it should be a laugher, but it's important because they gotta they've gotta clean those issues up going into the SEC opener on the road against Florida, a team they're probably gonna be favored to beat. That anytime you get an SEC team on the road and they're favored, it's for whatever reason, the voodoo out there, unless it's Georgia or Bam, of course. But uh, I mean, the home team plays out of their minds to kind of prove people wrong. So I think Tennessee's got a lot of things they've got to get right this week because if they if they're inconsistent against Florida, they'll get they could could get beat. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the timing of this matchup is good for Tennessee. Like getting Austin P instead of another group of five team and I know Austin P is FCS, but if they were playing in like UTSA this week mm-hmm. and you know, you'd be a little bit more worried because of 
just the, the team strength. In this case, you're playing an FCS opponent. And also, I think it gives you a chance to work on some of these things um, like we talked about, but also depth, you know, developing depth uh, before you go on the road and playing Gainesville, getting those young players another chance to get on the field and sort of solidifying your your defensive depth chart and your rotations. And most importantly, I think the biggest thing for Tennessee is no injuries. You know, May is not playing at center. Get him healthy this week and get him back for the Florida game. So lastly, Stephen, Eastern Kentucky at Kentucky. Again, that's a pick-your-score type game. You don't have to break that down. But uh, any takeaways from Kentucky's opener where, uh, in my mind, Devin Leary was not quite as sharp as we're going to need him to be in SEC play, but scoring on defense, scoring on special teams. I mean, it was almost a similar thing you could say about Tennessee. They didn't play their A game, yet they blew the doors off uh, Ball State. Uh, What was your thoughts on Kentucky? I think that's a good way to sum it up. Like Kentucky didn't play at its best and it still won pretty easily. Like I never felt like Ball State was had any chance of of winning that game even when it was close um early on. I think Devin Leary's the key here. You you look back at last week's game for Eastern Kentucky, Emory Jones threw for 345 yards against this defense. He's now the starting quarterback at Cincinnati. There should be a lot of opportunities for Kentucky's passing game to get right this week against um, Eastern Kentucky. So I think that's that's the takeaway for me. Defense, special teams, good showing. Ray Davis looked good. Would like to see Devin Leary show a little bit more consistency, and this week should be a good opportunity for him to do so. Anything uh, in closing, Stephen, that that you'll have your eyes on in the SEC? Maybe something we didn't I didn't ask you about or hit on or. Uh, just anything in general heading into week two in the SEC? I think maybe it's it's connecting with the first week in the sense of it wasn't the best showing for the SEC in the non-conference games. Like the top teams took care of business, essentially in, in some of those one-sided matchups, but the non-conference games you know, didn't go the SEC's way. Is it different in week two? You know, Auburn going out to Cal, um, some of the other ones that we've talked about, Texas A&M, and of course the big one against Alabama. So the narrative could be a lot different uh, next week. But also I think the theme of the season for me has been new faces at quarterback. And I think there are some high-profile opportunities for these new quarterbacks to step up, whether it's Milrow, whether it's Connor Wigman. Um, you know, I think if you're Florida, you want to see Graham Mertz put up big numbers this Saturday. I think same thing for, for Joe Milton. So I think the evolving quarterback discussion in the SEC will continue after this week, and I'm curious to see if some of these performances from week one carry over into week two. And, you know, let me piggyback off that, Stephen. I, I mean, I realize, well, LSU, I mean, they were pretty well-regarded. Some idiots had them winning the national championship. But, uh, you know, if let's say Alabama struggles or, or God forbid, they lose against Texas, which – you know, I'm not sitting here predicting they will, but uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, does week one, and if that carries over to week two, does that suggest that uh, maybe the conference and maybe college football as a whole is a little bit more wide open than we anticipate this season? What's your thoughts on that? It's a good question. Um, I think that's fair. Like, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of, like, the national championship contenders outside the SEC and I think it's, you know, it's a handful of teams in the Pac-12. It's like USC, it's Utah, 
Um, you know, the ACCs, Florida State, Clemson, and you can throw in the, the, the three big ones from the Big Ten this year. I think if the, the top teams from the SEC don't play up to their standard this week and we find out later that Georgia's not quite there, then I think the whole thing becomes wide open. Like all of a sudden that helps Michigan, that helps Ohio State, it helps Florida State, because I think the path going through a college football playoff where you potentially have to go through Alabama and Georgia in the semifinals is really difficult. Like all of a sudden we start adding on losses. Like LSU's got one, Alabama could get one. You know, I think Georgia's got the most favorable path, but all of a sudden, like, I hate to talk about the playoff already, but these losses could start adding up for the SEC in terms of the playoff if Alabama loses this week and we may find out Georgia's not as good, which means that maybe the champion comes from somewhere else in college football this year. I think what's more realistic, Stephen, is everybody sucks but Georgia, and they just (laughs) march on to number three uncontested once again. You know what? I I think that's probably (laughs) fair. If you ask me to predict uh, the rest of the season after week one, I think that's probably where I would land. They they were my my pick in the preseason, Mm -hmm. but my the argument was well. It's just really hard to do this. Like it's hard right. to do it once. It's really hard to do it twice, and to do it three times. Yeah, I, think, I mean it's I, unheard that, of. Right. It's it's just something that you have to go back into like way deep into the history <laughs> where it's like Minnesota won three. I, I forget when the the years were, but yeah, that 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 to me was the argument against Georgia. But we'll find out how good they are in the next uh, couple games. See if they're a little sharper this week against Ball State. Yep. All right, Stephen. Before you go, tell the audience uh, where can they find all your outstanding work. Absolutely. So you can listen to the Cover 2 podcast by Athlon Sports. We'll be out on Wednesdays. Uh, it's going to be, we'll have some clips up on YouTube at all CFB365. That's my YouTube channel, posting content there uh, during the week. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Athlon Steven. And you can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Stephen L. CFB. Yeah, well, Stephen, I can't thank you enough, as always, for joining the show. Really outstanding stuff. And uh, already looking forward to these games that we can break down next week. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Let's. I can't wait for Saturday. Let's get these games here. <laughs> All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Love having him on. The insight. He tried to warn me. FSU's legit, he said. North Carolina, that quarterback, he's elite. Utah dangerous. I didn't listen to a word he says. Don't listen to me. Listen to Steven. He knows what the hell he's talking about. (laughs) I just show up. I just work here. So uh, thanks again, Steven, for joining the show. Cousin Shane will be back on the next episode. We're going to be previewing all these games. Trying to line up some guests for this big weekend here in the SEC. So stay tuned for that. Plenty more content coming your way. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.